0: Take your Bible turn over to Psalm 98, Psalm 98. We've talked about Psalm of lament in Psalm 42, and precatory psalm last week, Psalm five. And now we're going to do one that's very positive, very encouraging, a psalm of praise, the shout for joy, the shout for joy. You know, most kingdoms do anything they can to protect their king. In fact, that's the premise of the game of chess, right? You do everything you can to protect the king because if you get stalemated, the game is over. And when the king goes down, the kingdom falls. Another great example was back in World War II and the Allied Forces and Dwight Eisenhower were preparing for D-Day on June 6, 1944. And uh, Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of England, He wanted to go out on a battleship in the English Channel and watch the battle from a distance. And General Eisenhower didn't think that was such a wise idea, run the risk of getting the prime minister killed. But Winston Churchill was adamant, so Dwight Eisenhower appealed to a higher power, King George VI. And King George VI came and talked to Winston Churchill, and he said, well, if you as the prime minister are going to go and observed the battle from the battleship, I have to go as well. And of course, Winston Churchill thought he couldn't put the king in harm's way, and so he relented, and he didn't go because the protection of the king was of utmost importance. But King Jesus did exactly the opposite. With royal courage, he surrendered his body to be crucified. On the cross, he offered a king's ransom, his life for the life of his people. He would die for all the wrong things that we had ever done and would do, completely atoning for all of our sins. The crown of thorns that was meant to make a mockery of his royal claims actually proclaimed his kingly dignity, even in death. This psalm screams to us, saying that Yahweh is a divine warrior. He's a conquering king. That's the underlying theme of this chapter in Psalm 98. It's under the category, as I mentioned, of praise. So this psalm gives us a picture of a conquering king, like a conquering king who came down and delivered his people from Babylonian captivity and led them victorious back to Jerusalem. The psalm would have been appropriate for the dedication of the temple. Yahweh is the king who, when asked by his people, swoops down to deliver his people from the enemies of injustice and unrighteousness. Israel, unlike the nations that surrounded them at the time, looked to their earthly kings for all the benefits the king provides for their people. The people around them looked to an earthly king to secure victory over their enemies and to grant peace to his people. But the Jewish people looked to their warrior king because they believed he alone could give peace and ultimately will always, always, always protect his people. Yahweh is the royal protector of the Jews and the Christ-followers, in this church age because of his covenant to Israel and the new covenant that comes through the blood of Christ to the bride of Christ, the church. One commentator said this, God's judgment on the wicked means salvation for the righteous. While we're sad, we're mournful that people who reject Christ will be ultimately destroyed, we also rejoice in the fact that God will rescue us and bless us and save us. So let's look to Psalm 98, Let's give attention to the word this morning, Psalm 98, for our scripture reading, and it says this, "O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Verse 3, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. There's a blessing every time we read the word of God because we believe these are the very words that um, come from the throne of God to this world as a message. And Lord, as we think about the aspect of you being a king today, we rejoice, we thank you, We thank you for the fact that you're not only king of our hearts right now spiritually, but Lord, you will be the king on this throne physically on planet Earth. And it's to that we look forward to and rejoice. So we commit this message into your hands, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our purpose today is that every Christ follower needs to see and practice praise as our way of worship, celebration, and honoring our king. That's what we do. We worship, we celebrate, we honor the king by how we live our lives. So our first point of praise this morning is that we are to celebrate with joy by rehearsing rehearsing God's past deliverance. Look at verse one. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. We see the marvelous works That he has done in verse 1. The marvelous works he has done. We're to sing a new song to the Lord, it says, as we rehearse God's victories in our lives. We can celebrate God's continual deliverance from areas of sin in our lives. Do you realize how powerful it is to think about music? And Austin, about once a month, teaches us a new song. You think about just the number of, of notes and chords and the millions and billions of songs have been written from just a few notes and a few chords think about that it's amazing and God wants us to sing a new song continually new songs of things that God is doing in our life to give us victory it says in psalm 33:3 sing to him a new song play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts marvelous here means to excite with wonder and fill the mind with astonishment have you ever come across a scene that just puts you in awe and wonder? I can remember as a child when my parents took us to Niagara Falls for the very first time. And, you know, as you approach the railing there on the sidewalk and you look over, your your jaw just drops at the wonderful, majestic falls and the power of that water coming over. I think about when I lived in Virginia and I took trail with some friends and we went up more than a mile above in Bedford, Virginia, to Peaks of Otter. And you come around Last Bend and you look out over a mile up and you see the beauty of those Blue Ridge Mountains right before you. The grandeur of the Rocky Mountains, I've enjoyed that. The California coastline as well. It makes you stop and and look in awe and wonder. And we need to do the same when it comes to King Jesus. We ought to marvel with awe and wonder and delight in what God has done in our past which builds our faith and the hope of what he will deliver us from in the future. One of the great enemies of hope is forgetting God's promises. Sometimes we get spiritual amnesia. We forget the things that God has done and the promises of the word, and then we focus more on our circumstances. Reminding is a great ministry that Peter and Paul both said as they wrote their letters for this reason. The main helper in reminding us what we need to know is the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean we're to be passive. We are responsible only for our own ministry of reminding ourselves. And for the first one in need of reminding is us. So notice the symbols here that are mentioned in verse one. The right hand, the holy arm, the instruments to vindicate God's people by his mighty strength. It says, the Lord hath made bare his holy arm that is in delivering the people from bondage. This metaphor is taken from warriors who roll up their sleeves, bear their arms for battle and the sense is that God has come to rescue his people as a warrior and that his interventions would be seen, would be recognized and acknowledged by all nations, that the word would go out, that the fear of the Lord would go to the other enemies that weren't being attacked at the time. This metaphor is derived from the manner in which Orientals dressed for battle. It says the loose sleeve of the Arab shirt as well as that of the outer garment leaves the arm so completely free that in an instant, the left hand passing up the right arm makes it bare. And this is done when a person, a soldier, for example, is about to strike with the sword and tends to give the arm full play in battle. The image represents Jehovah suddenly prepared to inflict some tremendous yet righteous judgment so effectual that all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. The phrase holy arm seems to mean that God would be engaged in a holy and a just cause. It would not be an arm of conquest or oppression, but it would be made bare in a holy cause and its inflictions would be righteous, done for right reasons. You know, uh, sometimes here in church, but sometimes in wana we sing, our God is an awesome God. And it has a line, when God rolls up his sleeve, he's not putting on the Ritz. That means he's not putting on a show. Our God is an awesome God. So the end of verse one shows that he is always working on behalf of his people. And again, as we mentioned in the previous study of the Psalms, this was a new concept to those people that, God was this universal God. They all had their local deities. They thought there was a God out there somewhere who was laissez-faire, who just got it all started. He's not connected, and we worship these local gods. But the Jews talked about Yahweh, Elohim, the overarching God of the universe. And here God is the divine warrior, is sovereign, and maintains his natural laws, his moral laws of righteousness, and his justice over those he made. We see, second of all, to this point, the ability of God to make known his salvation to his people. We should rejoice today that we have the word of God, that we have the Holy Spirit, that we have a means to know that there is a God out there, but he revealed himself to us. And not only did he reveal himself through the beauty of creation and other aspects and sending Jesus, but we have the word of God as our compass to handle all of life's issues, to point us to the way of salvation. Look at verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 98. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He's remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. God made known his salvation. We see that in his power to save the Jews at the Red Sea when they were you know, being chased by the Egyptian army on their way out of Egypt. We see that also in other places in scripture, but here's one that we don't think about. The queen of Sheba came to see for herself if all that was said by the other people in other nations, if it was true about Solomon, that he truly was the wisest king who ever lived. Take your Bible, turn over to 1 Kings 10. 1 Kings 10 a little obscure story but again showing god makes known his salvation to all the world not just to the jews first kings 10 verse 1 now when the queen of sheba heard of the fame of solomon concerning the name of the lord she came to test him with hard questions she came to jerusalem with a very great retinue or an entourage with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones and when she came to solomon She told him all that was on her mind and Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, the cupbearers and the burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And then look at the screen here and it says, and she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the report until I came, and my eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. In Verse 5, it said, it took her breath away, the wisdom of the Lord that was upon Solomon. God did numerous public acts of salvation and deliverance so that all the Jews, and the surrounding nations of Gentiles would know the testimony of Israel's God. The nations may not have wanted to follow that God, but they certainly feared that God, even if they continually attacked the Israelites. In verse three, we see the psalmist say that God remembered his loyal love and faithful commitment to the covenant that God gave to Abraham, passed on now to the current people the psalmist is writing to. In Genesis 12, And in Genesis 15, we see the Abrahamic covenant. The covenant that Abraham, God said, would be a father of many nations. That he would have a promised son, Isaac. And that also they would have a land they could call their own. We think of it as the promised land. Take your Bible, turn over to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. And we see that God gives this unconditional promise. Now, you have to understand, in the Bible, there are conditional promises. We like 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And he goes on to say, if you will do these things, I will forgive your sin and heal your land. But notice the if. It's a condition. We have to repent. What we're going to read here is an unconditional promise. One, the two people made as a contract. And I'll describe it before we read it so that you understand. They would take animals from both their livestock. They would cut them in half and separate them in a the field. So they would be apart. Of course, they're dead at this point. And then the two, of the two of the people, the men, would walk down between those parted animals, binding the contract, saying that if either one of us fail on this contract, we would have to put those animals back together and bring them back to life. What does that mean? That's impossible, right? Think about that in this context as we read what God does with Abraham with this unconditional promise that he's going to have a great nation and a place, a land of their own. Genesis 15, verse 7, And he, God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought him all these, cut them in half, laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. You will be servants there, talking of Egypt, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go on to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the sins or the iniquities of the Amorites is not yet complete. God's sovereign timing. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, here's the symbol of God, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Notice God's doing this alone, not Abraham. God alone is making this contract. On verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Canizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Riphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gir- Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So you see, he is serious about this commitment, this command that he's saying it will never, ever be broken. God continues to keep his promises to Israel. Israel has a very bright future ahead for those Jewish people who will come to faith in Jesus, the Messiah. The motivating factor for God's power and redemption and the vindication of his people is his loyal love and faithfulness to his people. He established truth and he keeps his word, not just for Israel, but to anyone who believes in him to the ends of the earth. Remember always that the gospel came through Israel. So the application here is that God's faithful past is a cause of continual praise in our lives. Think about the deep level of commitment in that picture in Genesis. How committed God is to Israel, so it is for us as believers today. And he's faithful, God's faithful past is a cause of continual praise in our lives. Our second point of joy is found as we think about how we celebrate by worshiping King Jesus. We celebrate by worshiping King Jesus. In Psalm 98, verse 4, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Now, I've been in many church services and sat in many places, and there are some people that just cannot sing, but they do try to make a joyful noise to the Lord, and that's all that matters, whether you sing on key or perfect pitch or not. The important thing is you're using your voice in that manner to praise God, and we're commanded here to make a joyful noise to the Lord. We're to be continually singing and playing praises to our God. Notice Talks about singing, but also mentions instruments as part of that praise. Literally, the beginning of verse 4 is saying, make a loud noise of praise to the Lord. The picture here is two choirs, and they're sitting in opposite choir lofts. And then the instruments begin to play, and one choir begins to sing. And as they sing, they're urging the other choir to join in and sing in unison together. The implication here is that the music is very loud, much like a warlike shout for joy as a victorious army wins the battle. Notice the use of voices and instruments. The music was a way of testifying, of sharing what God has done. The emphasis, notice the word lyre or harp is mentioned twice in verse five. This praise is loud, lots of music, very animated and a universal shout of exultation to God and for joy in their hearts. In verse four, it says, break forth. The idea here is that when people are overwhelmed with joy, it causes them to break into spontaneous praise and music to God, playing of instruments. On the screen, you see Psalm 150. Let's say this Psalm together. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes, I did say dancing in those verses, okay? (laughs) I want to make sure you saw that, all right? So we are to always, we're to always be honoring our king. We're to be always honoring our king. In verse 6, it says of Psalm 98, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. A trumpet blast. A trumpet blast, that's a call for worship in some places. That's a call to bring people and gather them together. A trumpet blast is a call for the armies to gather together for battle. And when we sang it as well with my soul, it's a trump that's gonna sound to resound that Jesus, King Jesus, is coming back to earth. We see the horn in verse six, the horn, the shofar, the long horn, again, intermittent blast on the horn to declare a gathering for worship and praise of the Jewish people. All of this to honor the king, the Lord himself, the king of Israel. Are you worshiping at the feet of King Jesus today? Are you giving him full rule and reign in your heart of every area of your life? As you ponder that thought, look at this painting on the screen. And it's interesting, you see kind of off to the right, there's a blank space there. You see those generals all around, and then there's a blank space, a silhouette there. This is called a painting by Mengel called The Generals of Insignificance. It hangs in the Berlin Art Gallery. And Mengel didn't quite finish this because he passed away. It's supposed to be a painting of King Frederick in that white silhouette. King Frederick standing around talking to his generals. But the king was left until last, leaving a bare patch in the middle of the painting with the background of the generals, but he died before he could finish the painting. So there's a painting full of generals but no king. Christians can spend so much time putting all the generals of insignificance, things, personal desires, that they leave the king of kings until last. And how many Christians die without putting Christ at the very center of their lives? The painting of our lives will never be complete without Christ being at the center. Christians can be so busy with the generals of insignificance and in the background of things, not realizing that they left out the most important person, King Jesus Christ. So here's our application. God wants all of us to make continual, joyful noise toward him. Do you hum it through the day, the praises of God? Do you listen to music on your radio? I'm not saying I do it all the time. But other times that God brings you around to a song that you think about and you praise him with music. Our last point is to focus on as we praise our king is to celebrate with joy King Jesus soon return. King Jesus soon return. Look at verses seven and eight. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. The creation shouts praise continually. This snow is an offering of praise to God, a beauty following the natural laws that he's created. The universe is one. All things were created and maintained by God and fully under his control. He sets up what we know as reality. He sets up the natural laws of nature, the establishment of truth that is followed universally by every people group. The same God who rules And reigns in heaven, rules and reigns spiritually on this earth. What affects one in heaven, one part in heaven, affects one part here on earth. He says, let the sea roar and every living being that fills it. Let all the world be filled with joy. The inanimate objects give off praise as well as the created creatures God makes, all for his honor and for his glory. I love Psalm 19 when we think of general revelation. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Verse four, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. I love verse four because in the Hebrew, that word voice means that God, that the creation is preaching, preaching the praise of God to the ends of the earth by his intelligent design by his creation. I was looking at some websites about sounds out in outer space. In 2022, people on Earth were able to hear the planetary sounds of Mars, thanks to two microphones that were installed on board of NASA's Perseverance Rover. The audio clips of these sounds in space captured a range of sounds from a gust of Martian wind to the snapping sound of the rover's laser hitting a rock. The planetary sounds we hear are wave-like vibrations of air molecules molecules occurring within the range of frequencies to which our ears are sensitive according to the BBC. Do you realize that the sun gives off a song, the song of the sun? There's low-frequency vibrations from the sun recorded by ESA NASA, SOHO spacecraft. And in the video that I looked at, it talked about how the atmospheric circulation inside the sun causes very low-frequency sound to be produced. These sounds from space are all singing out its praises to its creator. I like what the commentator in the Expositor's Bible said, the arena of God's marvelous acts in the world and nature form the stage on which God, the great king, acts. In verse eight, the psalmist says, let the rivers join in universal praise like the sound of clapping hands as the waters churn by downstream. As if the rivers are conscious like people, you see the grandeur, the beauty, and the usefulness of the waters going by with such force. This is one way of them rejoicing and praising the one who created and established those bodies of water. The hills and the mountains in view of God's goodness with their crowning beauty, Let them rejoice and honor their creator by giving off their beauty and praise to their creator. We see the creation shouts praise at King Jesus' return. The creation shouts praise at King Jesus' return. We don't have time to go over to Romans 8, but we talked about it a couple messages ago. But our world is groaning, looking forward to being restored to perfection like it was in paradise before there was sin at the beginning of creation. We see in verse nine here in Psalm 98, before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Everything in this chapter points to King Jesus. We see in this chapter, God is the creator, the redeemer and the king who's committed to saving his people in creation and restoring it back to perfection. All things in nature have occasion to praise the Lord because God comes to judge and he will make everything right. He will open his books of righteousness. He will be the judge, and he will balance all of the accounts to be fairly dealt with and taken care of. And all the world will rejoice when they see King Jesus return to planet Earth physically and visibly to set up his rule and reign on Earth from the new Jerusalem after his 1,000-year millennial reign. King Jesus will reveal himself in righteousness as the judge who will Come and vindicate his people for the harm they've suffered for all time and establish truth on earth. Look at verses 10 through 13 as we close out this chapter. He says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the Lord is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Verse 12, let the field exalt and everything in it then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the lord for he comes for he comes to judge the earth he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness here's our application god wants us to get all excited and go tell everybody that jesus christ is king when i was in 10th grade we moved to virginia and we came from a small church about about the size of this church. And my dad was called of God to go to seminary, so we packed our stuff up and moved 350 miles away to Virginia so he could go to seminary. And the first day, I went to this church of 12,000, and they welcomed me into the Sunday school class of 600 senior hires in a gymnasium. And the first song I heard, and the badges they hand out, was Bill Gaither's song, Get All Excited, Go Tell Everybody That Jesus Christ is King. We need to proclaim that message today. We should be excited. We should go tell everybody we can that Jesus Christ is truly the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The reading of this Psalm should bring us joy and jubilation. It shall cause us to be enthusiastic in our praise and awaken our mind to praise and adore our Savior and King. This Psalm should fill our soul with joy And give us a bigger view of God and that God is so, so worthy of all of our praise. God is reigning now in our hearts in the form of the Holy Spirit. But we look forward with hope and joy in the future when Jesus will rule here on planet Earth with us, those who are believers in him. Here's a quote from another commentator. The reign of universal peace, justice, and happiness has begun in this psalmist's prophetic vision as he wrote about Psalm 98, here's our key thought. What new song of praise do you have today to express praise for the joy you have in Jesus? What new song? What new song today? What's something new that God has been doing in your life that you can praise him for and express your praise with joy you have in Jesus? Some questions as we close. Are you rehearsing in your praise and praying the past ways God has worked in your life? It's good to sit down. It's good to journal and keep track of how God has given you victory after victory, answers to prayer in your life, how God has done amazing things in this church or other things that you've experienced. Second of all, how good are you at honoring Jesus as king on the throne of your life? That's something we should be thinking about every morning and then throughout the day as we go. Is Jesus truly Lord of my finances, my entertainment choices? And so on through my life. And lastly, are we joining with creation in anticipation of Jesus' return to rule and reign on earth? We're going to close with a video. It's been a long time since I showed this video. I often don't repeat illustrations. But this one, this one is worth repeating. So I want you to buckle up your seatbelts. I want you to watch this video. And my wife and I experienced S.M. Lockridge in person in the 70s going through this very same thing. And thankfully, he's now in heaven, but it's recorded on YouTube. Listen very carefully. That's my king. And then we'll pray.
1: My king is the king of the Jews. He's king of Israel he's a king of righteousness he's the king of the ages he's the king of heaven he's the king of glory he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of Lords that's my king I, I wonder do you know him <laughs> my king is a sovereign king no means of measure can define his limitless love he's enduringly strong he's entirely sincere he's Eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the whole of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak He's available for the tempted and the tried He sympathizes and he saves He strengthens and sustains He guards and he guides He heals the sick he the lepers, he forgives sinners, he discharges debtors, he delivers the captive. he defends the feeble, he blesses the young, he serves the unfortunate, he regards the age, he rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him, he's a key to knowledge, he's a well-trained of wisdom. Deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is massless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous and a yoke. And burns his burns is lighter. I wish I could describe him, for yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You see, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him. But they found out they couldn't stop him. Tyler couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Hey! That's masky.
0: That's masky. Let's pray. Father, we're just awed by the fact that you make it possible that we could even know a fraction of who you are. We just thank you, Lord, that you came and revealed yourself to us. Again, first of all, through your creation and in your special creation of all your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we're humbled today that we can understand and comprehend a little bit of what that means. And we look forward with joy to praising you through the rest of our lives. And we look forward with joy to praising you in heaven and also rejoice in in the fact that we will uh, serve with you here on this earth in the future. Lord, help us, help us to be excited this week to praise you, but to tell others about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.